Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the x Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it is July 11th, 2018. On this episode, we recap the St. Louis Cardinals series, which both games were complete polar opposites of each other and how it ended up turning out for the White Sox as they lost game one 14 to two but they just defeated the St. Louis Cardinals this evening four to nothing with earning the win tonight the White Sox have an opportunity to close out the week before the all-star break on a good note as the Kansas City Royals come into town hopefully the magic carries over from the games at Kauffman Stadium earlier this year. There's also a lot of injury news that we have to sort through. So we got a lot to get through on this episode and helping me out to get started is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. In a dumpster fire of a season, it's nice to be reminded of what it's like when the game is in the hands of good major league talent. And tonight we saw that from Carlos Rodon. Yes, that was basically the Rodon that uh, we'd seen when he was perfectly healthy and, yeah, I guess, at the top of his game and at the top of his hype. Just uh, taking control, seemed to have you know all three pitches working for him, maybe four if you consider his uh, you know slider having different tilts and speeds and sometimes it's more of a curveball or a strike grabber and some of it's just like a hard-cutting break, breakaway uh, you know, swing and miss pitch had everything working and it was just fun to watch him push around the lineup because the White Sox starters, you know, with their lack of swing and miss ability really just don't 
have nights like that where they are in control. The changeup, and this is just off the eye test. I haven't looked at Brooks Baseball Gym, but the changeup looks to be the one pitch that can elevate Rodon's game to go someone from very good to maybe I don't know All Star level. Is that too far of a stretch? Well, I think you know when he's at the height of his powers, um, he is an All Star pitcher. It just he you know has a hard time carrying that all the way through. And I'm looking right now at his uh, at his baseball savant info to see what exactly he did um, swinging strike wise. Yeah, because yeah, as you ten swing. Go ahead. Ten swinging strikes. Uh, four in the fastball. Or three in the fastball. Three on the slider. Four on the changeup. So it was his most effective pitch. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, he's throwing his fastball average of, uh, um, you know, 94 miles per hour, which I think is where uh, you like to see him at. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, mainly got by with, you know, you know, it's nice when he has a start where he throws fewer than 25% sliders, because that just means that he's, uh, you know, he doesn't need to get the strikeout. He doesn't need to, uh, you know, he doesn't have runners on where he's, you know, one, you know, 90 feet means a run. He really worked pretty much with the bases relatively clean and was able to be efficient. And, uh, yeah, I think when he's working from the windup and he's just getting weak contact, uh, he doesn't need to go for the hard stuff, the put away stuff, uh, like he does when he's desperate. And, you know, I think some of the, most of the time that's his doing when he walks too many guys and works inefficiently, but tonight it was everything clicking. I do like his sequencing against righties where you could see, especially with like Tommy Pham early in the game, Pham was looking for that slider inside the zone when there's two strikes on him. And I don't blame him because having watched a lot of Carlos Rodon starts, that has been Rodon's bread and butter, right? Two strikes mm-hmm. against righties. Here comes the slider. What I'm liking that's different is that he is using the fastball to elevate it, hitting 94, 95 miles per hour. And it's really tough for righties to adjust and catch up to that. Or he is fooling them with the changeup in the outside corner. I, I just think he could be a, a more complete pitcher than we have seen in the past couple of years. And, and it's just a little bit funny to me that he had to learn to be this way because of his injury. Yeah, and sometimes I think that's kind of what happens to pitchers when things don't go exactly <laughs> the way they're supposed to go. The nice thing is that with Rodon, you know, he still has that tendency to ease into his fastball velocity. But you know, when you look at his, his uh, you know pitch charts, his velocity charts topped out at ninety seven, um, but you know carried it on throughout the game. And his late his late fastballs were all 95, 96. So I mean, that's kind of what you want to see from him is um, you know not getting beat up in the early innings by um, you know, get me over fastballs that get hammered or, you know, that he has to go to his emergency fastball soon. And I think when that happens, that allows him to have so many more looks um, later in the game. Like you mentioned, uh, throwing the changeup when they're expecting the slider, throwing the high fastball and they're thinking changeup. So I think when he has all of those three pitches working for him, then he just basically has the whole plate and strike zone at his disposal. Yeah, we're going to talk about the difficulty some pitchers have going through a lineup multiple times uh, later in the show when we talk about Dylan Covey. Uh, but tonight, Carlos Rodon, seven and a third innings, only allowed three hits, two walks. Again, zero earned runs, zero runs, period, and seven strikeouts. His season ERA is now 3.56, Jim, so it's looking really pretty. He should he should have gone through eight innings, but Yohan yeah. Mikata made a costly error on a grounder. Uh, that should have been a double play. 
But unlike Tuesday night, when the Cardinals scored seven runs with the bases loaded in the sixth inning, uh, Juan Minaya and Joaquin Soria recorded back-to-back strikeouts, ending the threat a big moment for a White Sox bullpen that is, one, not performing well, and two, really taxed at the moment. And a couple of shout-outs here. One, Juan Minaya Jim has been pitching well since he's been called up again for the White Sox since June 14th, so almost a month. Minaya's only allowed three earned runs in 14, point, 14 and a third innings, and he's got 18 strikeouts and four walks. Is this just a difference of more confidence that we're seeing from Minaya on the mound? Because at the beginning of the year, it just looked like he was a pitcher that was completely lost. Yeah, if he, like, you know, not that I can get in their heads, but yeah, it's just a matter of him throwing strikes, and that's kind of what he looked like last year. I mean, maybe not this overpowering, but. He had the ability to overcome sloppy innings and either get the strikeout, get grounders, get uh, weak contact. He had lively stuff that, you know, while he was pitching over his pay grade as a closer after David Robertson and, and Tommy Canley and Anthony Swarzak left, you know, he was kind of the closer by default. Uh, and often his saves or adventures, he was able to, you know, have the resources, you know, mentally and physically to you know, power through base runners. And I think his first time up, he just could not find the strike zone, could not get into good counts, mainly a fastball pitcher. The slider didn't scare anybody. And now he just, he's setting up good counts. And now he has everything that you would talk about with Carlos Rodon. He just can throw the fastball when he wants to, or, you know, basically in the neighborhood of where he wants to. He's not exactly a command artist, but he throws 97 for an inning. Um, You know, that'll do a lot. Then he's able to get into slider counts and he'll be able to, use it and use it effectively. So um, really just better counts. He's not falling behind 2-0 and 3-0 like uh, we'd seen him do. And yeah, I think it's a nice contrast for him too. Like I would say just like as a career move to have that nice low maintenance, one better outing right after Bruce Rondon totally crapped the bed and paid the price. (laughs) And Joaquin Story, he picked up his 13th save, which to be honest, I didn't know if anyone was going to get more than 10 saves for the White yeah. Sox in 2018, so congrats to Soria. The thing about Soria is, Jim, is that obviously trade talks are really heating up. It sounds like that a deal for Manny Machado can go down relatively soon, as soon as before the All-Star game or even after the All-Star game. It sounds like from Ken Rosenthal and John Morosi that the Yankees are really turning up the heat to acquire Yohan Mikata, but well, I'm sorry, not Yohan Mikata. Wow. Manny Machado. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I hope they're not trading for Yohan Mikata. No, uh, for Manny Machado. Obviously, trade talks are all being dominated by where Manny Machado is going to go, Jim. But with Joaquin Soria, are you a bit surprised that there's not more conversation about him possibly being moved? Or is this still too early for a player like Soria to start hearing about trade rumors? I think it's a bit too early. It seems like the trade market right now is dominated by, you know, one or two guys and the rest of the talks in earnest haven't really happened yet. And I I think Soria, you know, given that he's, you know, he's evolved into a crafty righty at this point with the dropping down and uh, it's given his stuff a lot of life. He's been able to work up in the zone more. And I think, you know, it makes him into a legit weapon again, especially against righties. But, you know, given that he doesn't have the wipeout stuff and given that the White Sox aren't in, cost-cutting mode like a team like the Rays might be just you know, happy to cut wherever um you know the it seems like uh the White Sox you know unless it's a team as aggressive as the Seattle Mariners 
Um, you know, there aren't teams really asking for closers right now. They're still kind of sniffing out the market and, you know, other guys like Brad Hand and such, you've heard their names pop up, but not really with firm rumors attached to them. Um, you know, there are ideas of which teams need bullpen help, but um, I haven't really seen names exchanged in terms of, um, you know, which teams are looking for what reliever and, you know, potential prospects given up. So I think it just might be a little bit early for the relief market in general, but I do expect when, uh, after the all-star break, um, you know, like we saw with Jose Quintana, um, where, you know, maybe the first few days in the all-star break are where you start hearing White Sox names mentioned. The benefit of doing this show live and streaming this live is that I can tell you at this moment, Jim, with the Arizona Diamondbacks down 19 to two against the Colorado Rockies, that Alex Avila is pitching right now. For the huh. Diamondbacks, <laughs> uh, that could have been extra value, Alex, back in 2016. I'm kidding. Oh man, it's only they're doing the uh, Robin Ventura thing where it's only the seventh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's never good. You gotta gotta stretch it out. Some additional game notes that I wanted to touch on. One, Tim Anderson coming through with providing the early offense. He had the RBI ground out in the fifth inning, Jim, and then he had the RBI double in the seventh inning. He's been hitting much better against right-handed pitchers in 2018. Last year, Anderson's OPS was 629 against righties. In 2016, his rookie year, Anderson's OPS was 721. In 2018, it's now at 713, so he's almost up to where he was when he first started in the major leagues. And that was at a time that I think a lot of us thought, hey, here's someone that could be a top-of-the-order type of hitter for the White Sox. Right now against righties, he's batting in the bottom of the third. He batted eighth tonight. If Anderson can continue to hit better against righties, Jim, would it make sense moving Anderson full-time to the top of the order? Uh, Not full-time necessarily. I wouldn't mind seeing it uh, you know, a game or two if you know, Moncada needs a day off or Sanchez needs a day off. I mean, you know, Moncada and Sanchez both reach base twice. So, I mean, that's fine. But, you know, as we're thinking about the middle of the order and uh, say with, you know, Jose Abreu still struggling, not, you know, not looking right. And Daniel Palka being a, you know, he's, I think uh, he might be a little bit exposed right now. Um, you know, there, there's room in the middle of the order for a guy like him to move up, whether it's fifth or sixth. Um, I, I think that can happen. And I think, you know, this this um, production, I think, and I hope is a byproduct of his selectivity this year and, and just having a better idea of what pitchers are trying to do for him, you know, and, you know, the, the way they've attacked him with slider, slider, slider. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, based on just the pitches he's recognizing, the walks he is taking, that the production should go up a little bit. So hopefully it's not just a, a short-term boost because it does seem like it should be, sustainable and that Anderson should be like, you know, I think ideally like a 270 hitter, um, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, across the board. I think that's a kind of a fair expectation for him when the dust settles. And I think if he's doing that with his um, increased, you know, still below average play discipline, but better and the power and the speed and the good defense at shortstop, I think that's a, that's a player. I mean, in the bottom of the lineup, if Anderson in the future gym bats sixth or seventh, I mean, he has 20 home run, 40 stolen base potential. So obviously there is a big benefit to have him in the bottom of the lineup because that means hitters one through five or one through six uh, that you now have a deeper lineup for the White Sox, perhaps a productive lineup that we haven't seen since 2000. 
Uh, that's the wish, right? That's the dream of the future contending White Sox team is they have something like that. I, I just think that while there are many that make the case that maybe Yohan Mikata should always bat lead off because he needs as many plate appearances to help his development, I still think Tim Anderson is in his development phase. And you can make the same case that, you know, Tim Anderson needs as many at bats as well. Uh, as far as in the lineup. It's just something that I've been thinking about. If he can continue to hit better against righties and he continues to march closer to his career bap up because in 2018, still a little bit below of where he generally is. And if he does reach 270 with a batting average, Jim, I don't know how you keep Anderson batting eighth despite against right-handed pitchers. And I do love the idea of having him bat leadoff against lefties because he's so effective. It's something yeah, I'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah, and given the Brave struggles, and given the um, uh, you know lack of you know like say with Avi out, that really changes the complexion of the lineup. I wouldn't mind seeing him bat third, just you know for a game. Yeah, let's I mean, do what, it, man. Yeah, Mikata, I mean, like it, Yomer Anderson. Yeah, they're losing twice as many games. They're winning. What the hell? Give it a shot. I like it. That's a lot of speed, especially you get the bases loaded, hit a double down the left field line, easy three RBIs. Omar Neveas, another multi-hit game, Jim. As Dan Patrick would say, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. Uh, yeah. he's, he's now up to 280 with his batting average. No, it, it, Omar Neveas has been playing a lot better. There's, again, I, I have been one to give him criticism on Twitter while watching the game. I thought that he missed an opportunity to frame some strikes for both – Catching Carlos Rodon, that I think that was more on the umpire just simply missing calls. And there was an opportunity to to freeze one of the hitters in the ninth inning that he just pulled his glove across the zone and made it look like a ball when it was a strike. Uh, But Narvaez is still hitting. We talked a lot about him on Monday. And Yohan Mikata turning on Jordan Hicks. So this was the first time I get to watch Jordan Hicks. All I've heard is about his 104, 105-mile-per-hour fastball. And Mikata turned on a 102-mile-per-hour fastball for a leadoff triple. Very impressive. Then he scored on Jose Abreu's chopper. Just because there are not a lot of major league hitters who could turn on a 102-mile-per-hour fastball like that, that's that's why I, I think that's a flash of brilliance from Mikata and, and still gives me hope. But he did have two rookie mistakes. One, the error that we mentioned in the eighth inning. Uh, but the second, getting picked off at second base in the first inning when Jose Abreu lined out to left. I think he was just trying to help his buddy that no matter what, I'm scoring, and it ended up being uh, an easy out. You were blaming the helmet? No, I mean, like, I just, um, <laughs> no, not seriously, but I, I have wondered the visibility with those helmets. Um, just the peripheral vision from the right side on a play like that. You know, when he's got his head down and digging and you have the face guard, I, I hmm. just kind of struck me as like, I wonder if that does come into play. But no, I think it was just a misread and not knowing where the outfielders was, thinking it was a sinking line drive that was going to fall easily. And then, you know, probably what you said, just wanting to get an RBI single on his tab. Yeah. First inning, you know, taking advantage of Luke Weaver, who is struggling. You know, I think that's just trying to do too much, just like the, uh, the error in the field, trying to do too much. I wonder how Reese Hoskins deals with that. Looks like he's got Magneto's helmet from X-Men for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's, he's got it on both sides. Yeah, maybe it's con- yeah, maybe it's contoured enough to where it doesn't come into play. But just something I've always wondered, just, you know, do you see it in the corner of your eye? Do you, you know, when you're when you have your head down at different angles, can you see how the outfield are moving? I, yeah. I don't know. 
It's just I mean, one given, of the, yeah, go ahead. given that it hasn't really come up that much, you know, across the league, and you think if it were a problem, given how widely that helmet has been adopted, I'm guessing it doesn't, but... Yeah. It's just one of those nights where it you could be really excited for Mikata's potential because he does give you that one moment. At the same time, he gives you a couple moments where it's like, yeah, he's still a young guy. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather see, you know, I guess a game like tonight is preferable to the nights we've seen before where he makes mistakes and, you know, doesn't redeem himself or doesn't make up for it in a different way. Right. We did get a comment in the chat window for Mr. Topaz. And Mr. Topaz is asking you, Jim, has this game lifted your spirits after this morning's White Sox wake-up call? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it would be different. But yeah, I, I was trying to record it with a face palm and then the microphone couldn't pick me up. So... <laughs> I recorded it with my hand resting on my hand or my head resting on my hand on the side. Yeah. I was worried about you this morning. <laughs> no, on the other hand, like it was a lot easier to record because I have to worry about enunciation or diction. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> uh, all right. We do, have to, stretcher, I think, so. <laughs> we do. We do have to talk about a couple of things from game one, even though we really don't want to discuss them. Um, because again, there are things that we have to pay attention to during this rebuilding year. In game one, Dylan Covey, he was really good for the first two innings, Jim. Clean innings, four strikeouts, not good innings three through five. And you've been mentioning that Covey's having a hard time going through the second time against the lineup, where we talked about Carlos Rodon and how he's mixing up and using sequencing to help get through the second and third time through the lineup. Covey is just hitting a brick wall and the bad inning will come and bad innings mean consecutive hits allowed. You try to caution us, Jim, when we got excited about Covey, you try to caution us and curb our enthusiasm on the way that he was starting the season. Should White Sox fans start to lose hope in him? Yeah, I guess like, um, uh, you know, given, you know, at least the last two times out that he got, you know, made pretty easy work the first time through. Like I think Penal's mentioned on Twitter that, you know, you wouldn't like to see how Covey looks in the bullpen. And given how many um, openings are in this bullpen right now and, and certainly from the right side, uh, you know, there's a future for him there. And, and um, so, you know, there, there's a fallback for him when he's throwing 95 versus throwing 92 uh, the way he was last year. So it's, I guess I wouldn't say all is lost, but. It just, you know, for me, watching him pitch and watching the way he goes about it, just a sinker slider guy, it's really tough to sustain that, to sustain, you know, the, the downward boring action on the sinker all the way through to, you know, I guess keep hitters from getting trained on the sink to, you know, swing where the ball is going to be. You know, I think that might be a bit of a problem. And I think also he, you know, as the game goes on, he leaves pitches up and then they pound him. So it seems like, you know, watching sinker guys, they have such a, tough low margin for error and i just don't think kobe's there yet as somebody with the reps and uh you know perhaps just ultimately the stuff to get it done so um yeah when, when watching him the first inning you know, his stuff looked great so, you know 95 96 a lot of sync a lot of tailing action um and and that's exciting but yeah i just kind of uh, waited until the third inning to form my opinion and then yeah that uh, order flips around on him the second time and four straight hits and i think it was like seven of nine at one point um, so yeah. it was, you know, it just, I think it's, uh, way watching hitters look at them in the last few starts. It seems like once one time of the order passes through, it just, they've got themselves trained to follow his stuff. Bruce Rondon, he gone DFA yep. today after 
his disastrous outing. And it's been a long time coming. Like, we thought this movie was going to happen a couple weeks ago, Jim. It didn't happen. Now it has. And the White Sox called John Mark Gomez from Charlotte, somebody that I thought could have broke out, broke with the team after camp, but was dealing with an injury. What should we expect from Gomez? Uh, I think, you know, it doesn't seem like he's going to be a big strikeout guy. So ideally he would be a um, mid-leverage type. I mean, he does have closer experience with Philadelphia, um, but that was when Philadelphia was a 90-something lost team. And, you know, it's not really uh, a reflection of his merit as much as there might be other options. So, um, you know, he's a sinker or like a splitter. Uh, yeah, and I think it might be, you know, that's what he uses for his changeup, just not getting it uh, down enough. And he says he's corrected that. The numbers seem to indicate that. Hit a little bit of a rough patch his last few times out, but he was due one because his number is really good, um, aside from, you know, a non-overpowering strikeout rate. But he throws strikes. He's a veteran. He doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't have any of the red flags that Rondone had coming into it. He just um, needed, you know, maybe he needed to bounce back and, um you know, might might have the tendency to run hot and cold um, just because of the lack of truly overpowering stuff, but seems competent. I, I guess I'll put it that way. And, you know, if you give him the sixth or seventh inning in a tie game, uh, I don't think it's a bad option. And then injuries galore for the White Sox. It's hard to keep track of the news coming out on the minor league front. We knew this was going to eventually happen. There was just hope that Mike Rodolfo would not need Tommy John surgery, but there was a complication from his throwing program, and now he will need that, which means that he is most likely out until May of 2019 before we see him in action. You wrote about the option situation because he is on the 40-man roster, Jim. When Adolfo comes back, does that mean that the White Sox have to send him to Birmingham just because the clock is ticking? Uh, yeah, I could see him getting sent to Winston-Salem just to tune up, um, You know, especially, say, if he has an abbreviated spring training. Um, you know, kind of go the extended spring training route if he needs those reps and then kind of, you know, bring him up through the system. Canapolis wants to Salem. I think that's fine. You know, treat it like a rehab stint. But I think when, you know, I say after a, after a month, whether that month is April or whether the month is May, you know, I think then I think you need to um, just go to the next level and see what he's got. And, you know, I think ideally, uh, you know, if he's um, – you know, not looking great and, you know, maybe it looks overexposed at Birmingham, then you feel better about trying to outright him, you know, remove him, remove him from the 40 man. So he's not an option guy, but um, you know, that's the one I guess benefit of him looking overexposed is that maybe you can get by with a roster maneuver later on. But for the time being, yeah, I think uh, to see how much spring training time he needs, uh, see how much of a tune up he needs. But I think, you know, based on the way he looked at Winston Salem, um, Birmingham didn't seem like, um, and an overreach for him. Yeah, you know, I think they were keeping him back in Winston Salem to ramp up his throwing program, um, and uh, you know, see just exactly what he was capable of there. But um, I think if he were going on bat alone, he were fully healthy. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if he got called up to Birmingham just to see what he could do there. Miguel Gonzalez during tonight's White Sox game. The White Sox released a press release that he's going to be out ten to twelve months as he needs. Shoulder injury, uh, shoulder surgery uh, with his injury. He's been dealing with rotator cuff problems since he's been pitching for the White Sox. And it's been the reason why he's gone on the DL. And now he's decided to need to get surgery at the age of 34. He'll be 35 after recovering from the shoulder surgery, Jim. 
is this the end of the road for Miguel Gonzalez? Probably. Um, you know, I, I guess, yeah, you don't want to write anybody off. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get points for writing somebody off. But, uh, you know, given that he is that age, given how slim of a margin he works with and, you know, how he how bad he looked when he didn't have things working for him, you know, at 95 or 100 percent, um, he just didn't have that much to lose for uh, stuff before hitters really turned on him. So I think, uh, yeah, if you if you're touching his labrum and doing the shoulder stuff, which is like the John Dank stuff, then, yeah. Not that John Dinks had labor, but they had bribing on the shoulder and such. They're cleaning it out, and you know, it just you lose stuff when that happens. So yeah, anything with labrum and shoulder is is a bad idea. And yeah, I, I wish him well because it seems like uh, you know he is a uh, you know the I- ideal veteran presence on a, ro- a rotation, but just I can't see him bouncing back from this. And then Avisil Garcia, he is back on the ten day DL. We talked about the possibility of Avi going. On the 10-day DL, the White Sox claimed Ryan Lamar from the Minnesota Twins because why not? Let's just claim all of the Twins outfielders this year <laughs> as he joins Daniel Polka in that group. The White Sox are hopeful that he'll be back after the All-Star break, Jim. We haven't seen Lamar in the outfield or even in the lineup yet. Uh, if Avi's stint is short-term, I think that's great. But if it's long-term, how long are the White Sox going to stick with Lamar on the 25-man roster when you know there's this guy named Eloy Jimenez that's waiting in the wings? Well, yeah, I think that might be the one who dictates it because Lamar, you know, he wasn't hitting all that well. I think it was like 600 and something OB, you know, OPS. I think, yeah, whereas, you know, the high 600s, but still, you know, below average. But as a right-handed Hitter who can cover all three outfield field positions was basically what they're hoping Trace Thompson would do, and Thompson didn't come close to that. So, um, you know, he's he's not Trace Thompson. He's better than Trace Thompson, at least based on the numbers coming in. So, you know, there's that. But I think, yeah, as soon as Jimenez is ready, and, you know, hopefully it's just, you know, after, um, you know, maybe by the 20th or so that he's back in the lineup. You know, if he hits like he was at Charlotte, if picks up where he left off and, you know, has a good – um, you know, two weeks there, I don't see a reason to keep him down. Before we preview the Kansas City Royals series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. I use SeatGeek all the time for White Sox tickets. As a matter of fact, I bought a set of six tickets for this Friday's game against the Kansas City Royals. It only cost me $100 to sit in Section 107, and I love using SeatGeek because they find the most bane for my buck using the deal scores. They grade every ticket based on value to help identify the best seats that fit whatever budget you're looking for. Every purchase is fully guaranteed, so I know that my tickets are not fake, and they can upload into my phone, which I don't have to print tickets. They can just scan my phone. makes it really easy easy access into the stadium. And if you're looking to go to this weekend set of games against the Royals, 
Tickets for Friday start at $13. Saturday's game is $11. And Sunday's game, the last game before the All-Star break, just $6. So SeatGeek has some terrific deals this weekend for the White Sox and Royals games. And if you've never used SeatGeek before, download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone or visit SeatGeek.com and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And about that series between the White Sox and the Kansas City Royals, your pitching probables for this three-game series. Friday, July 13th, 7.10 p.m. starts. Friday the 13th. It is James Shields against Brad Keller. On Saturday, July 14th at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Danny Duffy against Ronaldo Lopez. And on Sunday, the Royals have yet to announce who will be the starting pitcher. Whoever it may be will be going up against Lucas Giolito as Giolito will close out the last game before the All-Star break for the White Sox. The Kansas City Royals are a impressive 40 games below 500. Uh, they are 26-66 and 66 on the season, Jim. What are you hoping for out of these three games? Hoping for a continuation of the of tonight's game. Just professional baseball where they look like they're the better team on on a given night. And yeah, I think with you know, Giolito, obviously we know what to look for there. Just um stuff, you know, good stuff, not uh um you know, disaster start. So um the yeah, the Royals have been terrible. They're, I think they're one and nine in their last ten. They did beat up the twins briefly, but yeah, they were back at it losing. So I mean there's just nothing going for them. Talking about trading Whit Merrifield, um, just mm-hmm. because there's not a whole lot else to deal. You know, we saw uh with Mike Mustakas his market was depressed over the offseason and it doesn't seem particularly lively here. And yeah, just it's uh it's a mess. So, uh, yeah, they're the one team that seems to be their purpose seems to make the White Sox you know, and White Sox fans feel better about themselves. And it'd be a nice way to close out the first half just with that holding true all the way into the All-Star break. The White Sox started this year 2-12 and at home. After tonight's victory, they are 17-28, meaning that you're looking at so 2-12, and so they're 15-16 and since that brutal stretch of the home games that they started this year. If they could win this series and play 500 since that brutal stretch, it will be... It'll be a nice touch here. I hope that they do not fall flat on their face as this could be a well-attended series. Again, this is the last home series before the All-Star game comes around and also before training camp begins in the National Football League. Uh, There's a lot of excitement with the Chicago Bears and you could be having some White Sox fans making their way to Bourbon A instead of guaranteed rate field. So hopefully the White Sox do continue their outstanding play this evening against the St. Louis Cardinals and roll the Kansas City Royals. And hopefully Matt Davidson continues to smash the Kansas City Royals pitching because that was a lot of fun earlier this year at Kauffman Stadium. Again, the White Sox will have Thursday off July 12th, and they will pick up action on Friday, July 13th. And that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live 
thank you to all those that listen to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Socks Machine. If you never get a chance to listen to us live, no worries. We record every episode and upload it into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to our show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Audioboom.com slash Socks Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.